good morning. This is Bob Camp from Ren and Stimpy, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for January 10th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. Are we going to vote again, Steve? This is Chip Essenflow. <laughs> I call for a I'm vote. present. I'm present. I call for a vote. If we should should we begin the program too much scrolling for January 10th? We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yes, being glued to the floor of the house and and having the popcorn and watching uh, uh what a week. What a week in politics, Chip. Steve, there's almost a fight. Yeah, there was almost a physical altercation. North Carolina's representative held back Alabama's representative. So thank you, Chip. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Oh, boy. It was an interesting week uh, this week. Did you make it to the movie theater, Chip? I saw the movie The Menu, my friend. Okay. Which is interesting because I've been wanting to see this movie, but it went to like once a day, like the 930 in the evening showing. Was it Avatar? Did Avatar bump it out of its out of its slot? I, I don't know what happens, but uh, it was enough for one one showing a day okay and i got to see it and i got to see the menu my friend and it was very good it was a very good movie okay this was released in november of 2022 it's got an all-star cast and it's one of those movies where we focus on food and in fact it could be a one room play if they wanted to establish it that way so that is how this movie works while it certainly has different locations in the the movie if you were going to be on the stage you could do it in one room interesting and it it does star he who should not be named steve good old ralph fines who oh i can't i can't say can't say that name either yes i'm wondering (laughs) if this is a prequel to uh harry potter like that in between time when he is a baby and uh, he shows up, I'm guessing because this guy is an evil guy. Did they bring out the butter beer? That's how you would know. They did not bring out the butter beer, but every every serving Steve came with his own special wine. Okay, so this is a, a story kind of like I would say like Twelve Angry Men, hmm. um, not not in the sense of the discovery, but sort of how it plays out. We have different tables. Every table for the reservation has their own little issue that's going on. It's being released to the people who are at the tables along with the dining experience. And uh, it is known at the end uh, uh, that they will die at the end. Oh, geez. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> so it's so a, a last the- meal. Well, it is sort of a last meal. The, oh. the people going there, um, oh. at least one of them was told it was going to be a last meal. Oh, um, th- We get little things that are trickled out to us throughout the experience. There are times when it is very shocking. Once again, this is a horror movie. 
Okay. Uh, kind of a thriller horror kind of vibe to it. The chef has uh, determined that he has mastered his craft in many ways. We learn over the course of it that his mastery of the craft means kind of he's lost his passion a little mm. bit from it. And then as the story goes on, we get more and more information about the people who are there, why they chose to be there. Many of them are wealthy or business people or people who have done bad things to other people, mm. um, who have bad intentions at times. This is an Adam McKay and Will Ferrell film. And for those who do, are not familiar with it, Adam McKay's Recent films have, have had like a little bit of a political slant to it. Mm -hmm. um, so you could say that, you know, this is a uh, a statement on elitism in, in some ways. But I, I ultimately think that the, the grand story of this is our chef who has purposely mastered a craft and built it to be incredibly complex as far as this food service. The rules become the focus um, the sort of how things should unfold, the decorum, um, the control of the environment, the control of the people working there, the control of the patrons who become part of this service. Hmm. Um, there's a lot to unpack in this. This is an incredibly insightful film. I felt it uh, to be one of the best of the year, 80 out of 100. So this is one of my highest rated films of the year i don't think this is film of the year i do think that you could nitpick this this film quite a bit and i do think that the tables and what's going on at each individual table could have been uh, maybe a little clearer or um created a little more damnation to it we, we you have to kind of you feel it you understand it but you know there's just not you know they're not laying it out okay. for you as much as they could have but there's a messiness to to life. There's a disorder to it. A chef wants to control nature. Mm. And um, listen, don't be bad people is what uh, you get <laughs> from you this go. also. There's, a, there's but, a good message. There is. There's really a shocking element to this. Mm -hmm. And so a person should recognize that they, when going into it, this is not a family film. This is truly a grown-up film. And I really enjoyed it. And um, the, the cast is outstanding. The sets are great. Um, and um, recognizing the skills that people have mastered uh, around you. I hmm. mean, could be one of the insights you also come from. Um, but we do get this uh, ending that um, where just a simple dish is made. And there's something to be said about that. Hmm. And a rediscovering of why you decided to go on whatever journey you went on to master your particular craft is something to um, to celebrate. Um, doesn't make that you know what you turn into right, but just a you know a reminder of why people went on a journey. So hmm. anyway, very very interesting, good grown up film. Okay, nice. I got to see a musical on Netflix, Chip, a very, very different uh, movie than what you saw. Roll Dolls Matilda the Musical hit Netflix this week. 
This may have been a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. Was this a recording of the Broadway musical? No, this is a film. This is a movie version of the Tony and Olivier Award winning Broadway musical. This is, you know, uh, take a musical and make it into a movie is kind of a thing that we've been doing for the last uh, 30 years. And this is all the special effects that you would expect from a children's story like matilda with all the music that you would expect from a broadway show did you enjoy it i don't love this musical i do love the story of matilda roll dolls matilda is is one of those stories that i really enjoy the messaging of how we can treat each other well and how we can use education and reading specifically to become better people and the people that aren't using education might not be good people that's the basic theme of matilda but the music of this musical really leaves me flat i don't enjoy this music the choreography is beautiful the kids that are in this production are fantastic actors the sets are wonderful the costuming everything about it visually is wonderful the music just just leaves me wanting uh in this production we should remember your this uh review real quickly uh, that is the foreshadowing of something else all right but uh, but interesting. Um, and this was released directly on Netflix. This was uh, funded by Netflix. Correct. This is a, a Netflix production. Uh, I think that most people would enjoy it. It leaves me wanting more in terms of the the storytelling the 1996 movie Matilda, which featured Danny DeVito and his then wife Rhea Perlman as the the terrible parents, and actually that that one was directed by Danny DeVito, which I didn't know until I looked it up on IMDb. That movie has beautiful storytelling, along with all the weirdness of the Roll Doll story. This musical loses something by adding the songs. I think I think that there's something about that straight storytelling from Roald Dahl that works better. Excellent. Steve, that wasn't the only film you got to see this week. Yeah, Cousin Joseph came from Texas, and and uh, he wanted to watch football, so we watched a lot of football, and then I said, I, I need to I, I need to get some some nerd culture in in this in this holiday. Can we watch something else? So we watched 12 Monkeys from 1995. This is Terry Gilliam and his mind being shown on screen. Those of you who don't remember the story of 12 Monkeys, it is about a pandemic that that uh, uh, wipes out 7 billion humans on the planet and the rest of the humans that survive have to go underground to get away from this man-made virus. This is Terry Gilliam weirdness on on a level that is unprecedented. Those of you who have seen Brazil, the other Terry Gilliam movie, or uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, or if you just watched the cartoons in Monty Python, uh, you know Terry Gilliam is is very strange indeed. Bruce Willis is the, the hero of 12 Monkeys, along with Brad Pitt. And I gotta tell you, every time I see Brad Pitt in any movie after 12 Monkeys 1995, I only think of this character. Brad Pitt plays crazy in this movie in such a perfect way. 
he is in an asylum he is being treated for mental illness and he portrays that so perfectly he's got these great grand insights about life and then on top of that is this manic way that he goes through his day i love this film Time for our Adventures in a Black Box segment. This is something that comes up whenever we get to the theater, Chip. Did you say theater, Steve? Yes. Did you go to the D-Pack Center and see the latest musical, Chip? The Durham Performing Arts Center is uh, part of the musical... Um... <laughs> welcome uh, to PBS. Uh, welcome to PBS, Steve. <laughs> um, I've got my ascot. My smoking jacket is on. I am now a thespian. Did I tell you that I wanted to get a smoking jacket? My wife wouldn't let me because I don't smoke. <laughs> let me bring out my slipper to get my uh, my tobacco in my pipe. As we discuss Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Uh-huh. It was a Broadway musical from, what, about five years ago or so, Steve? Right. It is, it's, it's made its way to the, to the, uh, the touring uh, sector now, and we get the touring uh, cast of this. This is a Tina Turner musical. Uh, this is part of the girl power, um, I don't know, theme season. that we have for this entire season, Steve. Let's see, what, what do we start off with? We start off with Frozen. We move to Annie, followed by uh, Hairspray. And uh, here, oh my goodness, it's Tina. And for my next one, we'll do uh, Alanis Morissette's uh, Jagged Little Pill. Let's just say girl power, girl power, girl power. Yes. All right, so I one of the things I did not know is Tina Turner is not Tina Turner's real name. Hmm. That is a stage name that uh, Ike Turner presented to her. So Tina Turner um, grew up in Tennessee, outside of Memphis, very, very poor. She um, went to the big city, Steve. She took a big job in the city? St. Louis. Band every, every night and day? Yes, St. Louis, Steve. St. Louis. So, St. Louis, she did. She did. Her mom um, left with her older uh, sister, moved to St. Louis. Tina was left with her father. And the reason was is because Tina's father beat his wife, hmm. and the wife basically escaped, which is interesting because Ike also um, performed physical violence on Tina Turner mm -hmm. and also kept everything in his name, as in the Ike and Tina uh, Turner Review. Mm -hmm. their original um, uh, band that they performed under, who never really had a big hit, but had enough charting that they were a very well-known live act, but never could become like the big act. So we move from there to where we get to the 80s, where a producer uh, rediscovers her after she has escaped this abusive marriage uh, and then says, hey, you need to sing these pop songs. And that's where she went from like destitute, truly, to being the wealthy superstar that she became. Mm -hmm. So I, I, as I'm watching this, certainly the abuse is uh, well noted in this and all sorts of things. But what I'm really seeing is a story of it takes a long time to master your skill. Mm -hmm. And once you've mastered your skill, what you're doing may not be the best vehicle to move you to the next level. 
Hmm. So it wasn't until she hooked up with this producer who said, I love your voice. And she goes, I want to sing rock and roll. He goes, no, you're going to sing private dancer and you're going to sing all these other songs. This is an odd musical in the sense that it does have a lot of pop songs that you know that get played in it. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like listening to the Mad Max Thunderdome song. Can't we you just know? get beyond Thunderdome? <laughs> Which is thrown in there. <laughs> uh, and of course, it ends with something of the best. I learned that she was a Buddhist and a Baptist. So I've heard the uh, the term Jupu before, which mm-hmm. Jewish person who discovers Buddhism. Um, this is uh, Jew- uh, this is Buddhism and baptism. I, mm-hmm. I guess we need to find a cool word uh, for that. Jewish. But she but she's sitting down uh, at the beginning of our show. She is doing some kind of chanting and uh, centering herself to get ready to go on to stage. It ends coming back to that scene where she is getting ready to go on and she's chanting, centering herself, getting ready to go on the stage. They uh, say goodbye to everybody. Hey, let's clap for all the actors are on there. I think the most exciting part of this show was when the actor who played Tina Turner, along with a number of the other actors, came in and they did um, a couple songs from uh, the Ike and Tina review, okay. which are very, very exciting. I like the costuming in this. I really did not like the lighting. There's too many lights on stage hmm. getting shined to the audience. Yeah. Like spotlights. Like and you're, I mean, they're right in your eyes. Yeah. Um, this is not the strongest material these are not the strongest songs um it is like going to broadway and like we're going to see broadway musical mm-hmm. so it's not wicked it's not you know something that's going to change your life it's it's not hamilton it's not avenue q it truly is like we need broadway musical mm-hmm. plug and play type of feeling into okay. it that doesn't mean it's bad it just certainly means that special. there's yeah, there's nothing really yeah. special about it. It truly yeah. is. Let's go listen to some Tina Turner songs with a few other pop songs and just move on from there. And everybody claps and has a good time and goes home. That That's similar to what I felt about the Matilda musical on Netflix. It, it It's lovely. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not special. I'm not going to, you know, go see it again. I, I would rather have a different version of that story. So as I'm leaving, um, they were asking, how did you like the musical? And I said, of course, good afternoon. (laughs) And still nobody gets that joke. I laugh and laugh and laugh. (laughs) I'm saying good afternoon to somebody and they, they don't get what I'm, what I'm at. (laughs) Good afternoon. But you love going to theater and seeing musical theater, even when it's forgettable. Steve, the joy I have wearing an ascot in public. um, Where else can I do that except for in the theater? (laughs) You can wear an ascot wherever you want, my friend. And and a little ponytail with a little bow on it. I mean, it just feels really, feels right. Feels right. Appetite. Brings us 
to our appetite, our app of the week. We have talked quite a bit over the years about AI, artificial intelligence, and uh, keeping ahead of the innovations in artificial intelligence is kind of important to, you know, the future of humanity, Chip. In fact, I was going to introduce myself by my new uh, name, ChatGPT. Oh, yeah. Chat GPT uh, 3 is the current iteration of this particular chat bot. And it is, uh, we've talked about it a few times on the show already. The, the idea of having a program, an algorithm that can find all the right answers for you, automating that search. All right. So the, the, the real issue with this, this chat GPT, is that is getting to the level where it could write papers for you. Mm-hmm. So if you are a professor in a college or a, a teacher in, a, in um, I guess, a K through 12, um, and you assigned your, your student, hey, give me a paper on whatever subject, there is the potential that, that this could be written through a chat, mm-hmm. uh, through, through a, a robot, through an, an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is already showing up in college papers. Um, and actually, I've, I've, I actually sent around to Pam and you I, a uh, one college professor's answer to this. If he suspects that a student has uh, used this AI, this artificial intelligence, to write a paper, he will put down the paper, he'll call the student in, and he'll just verbally say, okay, tell me about this. Mm-hmm. And have the student defend this work and he goes you can immediately tell if they wrote it or didn't write it or any number of things oh absolutely i I know when a kid has cheated quote unquote cheated by finding the information and not actually having the knowledge that's really what it comes down to for education here is where is the line of education is the idea to give students this knowledge is the idea that they should know these things and using these advanced tools is that taking away from knowledge acquisition so on a grand scale something like this is always been people have plagiarized mm-hmm. for for um for a lot many people have and in fact that's one of the real challenges is that your papers can be public when you become you know a phd mm-hmm. and there's nothing like having somebody coming behind you reviewing your phd from 10 15 years ago going oh this was copied out of this book Source. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And imagine how um, embarrassing it is for the professor or for you know whoever had that uncovered. Having these tools to improve that knowledge is important, though. We, we have always in education had new tools come around to help students to learn things. Well, I use Grammarly to mm-hmm. help clarify my uh, thoughts help me write more clearly, things like that. That's certainly reasonable mm-hmm. on help expand my vocabulary. Steve, I, I have access to, I think, a uh, hundred words. I mean, I am from the South. I was about to say, Grammarly's helping you a lot, Chip. <laughs> That's right. My my vocabulary is much bigger now. Uh, Eight, because years of in. Eight years in with this conversation. And yes, your vocabulary has expanded. Steve, I started out like an ape man. I was like 50 words at that time. Like me, good, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just a caveman. Exactly. I don't understand your ways. But these, but these chatbots. I mean, you can imagine you, uh-huh. you are um, 
you're an English major and you're being asked to write a biology paper mm-hmm. uh, showing that you have mastered some knowledge. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, and you could use a service. Like sometimes people would buy a paper, mm. nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, you, you know, a person could go and use an AI to write a paper. But um, this Princeton student seems to have built an app to quickly identify whether it was written by an artificial intelligence or whether it was written by a student. So the algorithm that writes this information is artificial intelligence. And as I teach my students, artificial intelligence is nothing more than a series of if-then statements. It is no different from any other kind of computer programming. The database, the information that this chatbot is pulling from is enormous. But this particular student was able to find that randomness of this uh, chatbot's database and and has created an app to find that perplexity and burstiness <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go and define those Steve give me give me a few minutes <laughs> by the way we haven't even named this app this app is GPT zero uh-huh that's the app. And my assumption is that there's going to be a number of those types of apps that are going to be available. And maybe a professor ends up running every one of them through that type of service. And it might happen very, very quickly. It might be a service that that handles a, a, a large volume of work and just goes through a check for... We, we've done plagiarism checks in all sorts of ways over the years. And this is just another way to verify The idea of what education is comes up here. If I am teaching trivia that can be looked up on Google in 10 seconds, is that valuable to my students? Or should I be teaching them how to use these tools to forward their thinking, to get to the next level of thinking? That's what chat GPT can do, but a lot of people use it uh, as a, as a, way around getting their work done so there there's the way steve Mm -hmm. this is the way book it 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 Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. You, my friend, have been reading more about uh, the future of uh, especially American culture. The book that you brought this week is called Men Without Work, Post-Pandemic Edition, New Threats to Freedom. This is by Nicholas Eberstadt. So this is an update from a book that came out, I think, in 2015. Uh, and the idea is Men Without Work is... is um, the real, uh, I guess, insight that he he brings up. These are people who are who are not unemployed, uh, not employed. They're not counting in the statistics. Hmm. And so we get. I mean, almost every week. We just had one on Friday, last Friday that was released that said we're at the highest percentage of working people in our history. Hmm. But he's contending that we are are missing a whole group of people, potentially maybe one out of nine men, one out of nine men do not get counted in statistics because they're not actively looking for work and they didn't have work. 
Hmm. So they're at home, they're doing something. What he's arguing is that uh, we have a crisis in the United States. We have uh, Depression-era work rates for American men who are of prime working age. And prime working age is 25 to 54 years of age. And they are people, once again, who are not counted as unemployed because they're not being added as part of any statistics because they weren't working, they're Mm -hmm. not unemployed, they're just existing. Mm -hmm. So um, he said over 6 million of these men, they're not working or weren't looking for work. The pandemic has uncovered an additional group of this. So um, let me back up. Black men have historically been part of this group. Mm -hmm. But what he's finding is native-born Anglo. That means white people. Uh, People who are born in the United States. They're increasingly becoming larger and larger and larger. Could that potentially be explaining some of the, the, the political issues that we're going through? Hmm. Immediately, I'm thinking also of growing up in North Carolina, we had all sorts of types of firms that were available. Textile mills used to be in North Carolina, so sheets and towels and stuff like that. They they went away. They went Mm -hmm. overseas. They're not coming back here. I'm thinking of farmers who, you know, at some point have their crops that need to be filled. They are not getting local people to take those jobs. Mm-hmm. They are importing people to go pick the fields because what they're finding is that Steve and Chip go out there and we're only going to last a day or two because we go, it's hot, it's ugly work, I'm dirty, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're not doing the, that work. This is a real challenge. And you you can think of it as a um, a wealthy society's challenge because I mean, a hundred years ago, most of us would have been begging for work. Like, hey, I'll do anything. Right. Um, but anyway, I'm my the reason I'm interested in the statistic is I do think there could be some troubling um challenges to this. He's not addressing that in here, but this is could lead to instability mm-hmm. when men are upset, don't feel like they're getting their fair share or or societies working against them this is a group that can be radicalized mm-hmm. and i think that life is good what can we do to help these people assimilate into society help them have fulfilling lives is what what i'm looking uh or why i'm interested in in this and it, it works into some of the things i do in volunteer work along with my professional career too is how can I help individuals live, make the most out of their one life is how I would describe it. And as an educator, I'm I'm constantly thinking about how am I going to prepare my students for the future? And the future of work is certainly a part of of who we are, but there's, there's more to it than that. Finding who you are and what you're good at and finding a way to make money with that skill. And, and there's the other issue is that it, you don't have to become multimillionaire to be successful in life. Right. If you find something you enjoy doing it and you enjoy or allows you to do something that you enjoy, you may hate accounting, but accounting allows you to go skiing every year and you love skiing. Mm-hmm. Well, 
okay, that's your trade-off right there. The balance. Okay, but you also could become a ski instructor, live a very modest lifestyle, but do something you really enjoy. Yep. I mean, th- those are that's not a bad life. So where this kind of takes me um, is a little bit into we're not having children as far as our society is not having children. Europe, as we know, the demographics, they can't come back from it. So they're graying. Japan is graying. Korea is graying. China is graying. And the United States is delaying, but we're having the same issue. Our young people and, and, and these young people who are not part of these statistics, they're not having babies. Hmm. So on a, on a grand scheme, not part of this book, maybe we get to, w- w- there's no doubt that as people become wealthier, they choose less children. Maybe that is a, there's a natural order to population. Um, but there also could be some other challenges with that. Mm-hmm. And they're nefarious type things. These are things that people who are not having fulfilled lives get radicalized. And all of a sudden, your society is turned upside down. So what are we seeing in Europe? What are we seeing in these other countries? We don't know yet. The future will reveal itself. Hmm. They're suggesting that there's at least 11 million jobs that are not being fulfilled in the United States. My goodness, if you've been to a grocery store, a fast food restaurant, the number of help wanted signs out there Mm -hmm. are just, they're out there. But, you know, I don't know if if general men are going to be fulfilled giving coffee. Mm. Okay. I don't, you know, building roads and, and uh, uh, building buildings and, and uh, uh, you know, there, there, there may be other things that, that are make, make a, a, a life of adventure. I don't know how mm. to describe it. Um, the the weakness of this book is it is just throwing numbers at you left and right. Oh boy! It is numbers, 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 numbers. Mm. He is a fascinating man. I, in fact, I've seen a couple of talks uh, and presentations by this this person. He's a very fascinating, very thoughtful speaker. He writes in a very thoughtful way, and I think that he has uncovered something that is a concern not being well reported because typically we're very concerned about making sure that we have um, a number of women in engineering programs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the, the book we read a few weeks ago, we talked about, Hey, listen, we should, you know, what can we do to get a bunch of men to work in the nursing field? You mm-hmm. know, what can we do to get a number of men to go work in the teaching field? Uh, those types of things. We need to be really focusing. This should be one of the focuses that we should have. We should try to get this group of people, find a way to get them assimilated in society. We need their tax base to pay for the retirees today. We need them to be happy people to make sure our society continues going forward. Hmm. That's uh, it's, it's some big thinking, big thinking on a global scale. And uh, I'm trying to do my part on the small scale, helping my students to to find that motivation to be that person that they want to be in their future. 
fascinating book. I recommend it for, if you have interest in it. Once again, it is a lot of numbers. Okay. That's fascinating. I, I'm fascinated by the idea of of how we are making decisions now for the future. That is obviously the, the basis of my job. So I am fascinated. I'm glad that you are on the forefront of thinking through these things for us. That's Men Without Work, post-pandemic edition by Nicholas Eberstadt. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's lots of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. Let's talk about the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas that just concluded this weekend, Chip. All right. I love this. I love the innovation that comes out of this big, huge show of all of the companies around the world showing us what they've been working on. Some of these products will never come to market, but the ideas of these products might be folded into what we are doing with the future of uh, automation and all of the other pieces that make up our lifestyles. Yes. This is always something fun to um to release every year mm -hmm. so what do we have this year steve well automobiles have been a big part of this show for about seven years now automobiles the technology that goes into our cars is a big focus of the consumer electronics show sony is teaming up with honda and they've unveiled an automobile of their own the sony honda mobility group is launching a brand called aphelia a Aphelia. Aphelia, Steve. Aphelia. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... what is interesting about this is certainly Sony uh, historically has been a very premium brand. Honda certainly has a pedigree of racing engines and, and automobiles and quality, both mm -hmm. two Japanese brands. Um, and they're trying to find or fight for their position in a world where at one time, Tesla was considered the leader of this um, industry. Mm -hmm. Well, this looks like a very good marriage uh, and a very interesting uh, way of, of addressing uh, a technology company along with an automobile company putting together this, this beautiful automobile. Mm -hmm. And thinking of mobility as an intelligent entity, adding more mobility and society sensing into our IT technology. This is a fascinating look at how we feel about our cars. And Epic Games, of course, was uh, signed. Of course. Of course. For, for entertainment. We'll, we'll put a, they'll put a game in there, too, for the kids. Steve. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, Aus the Austrian, was yes. working with the, the Bavarian company. Yes, the Austrian. The Arnold Schwarzenegger took the stage for BMW and introduced their iVision D electric vehicle. This was fascinating to watch. And not D as in the letter D, Steve. D-E-E. -E. This car's name is D, the iVision D. This is an AI-based automobile with e-ink panels on the interior and exterior. It can change colors, Chip. Steve, can it go schnitzel? <laughs> you can warm up some schnitzel in the back seat while, you're, while your AI is driving your vision. And would it spill your strudel? <laughs> 
There are zero buttons, zero switches, a super sleek interior. This is a concept car. I, I love looking at the concept cars, especially at CES. But the idea of AR, augmented reality, filling the entire view of the windscreen here, a heads-up display with five levels of immersion. Uh, I'm fascinated by what the future of that technology looks like. And this is an all-electric vehicle, right? Correct. This is one of the many, many electric vehicles that are going to be rolled out in the next few years. So the the previous generation, uh, or what's out on the market today, they're hybrids. I mean, they have electric propulsion and stopping, but they have a gasoline engine that's hooked up to help feed the generator. Because it's so easy to transport energy in the form of fossil fuels. Transporting energy in any other way is not as efficient. And so it's it's hard to get past that fossil fuel. So as a futurist, I have failed because I felt their I-4, that itty-bitty BMW that they had mm-hmm. for a, while, a long time. It was It's a hybrid, but it's an electric with the gasoline engine. I thought that the price of it would dump enough that would become like a play car like uh steve would would pick one up and he would you know tinker with it and all of a sudden now it gets special mileage or add additional sales that has not become true Mm. steve an alphabet is out there and they have a company called google And they have a company called Android. So Google's Android Auto is being updated. Uh, I really look forward to finally getting my hands on this update for Android Auto. This is the entertainment screen in my vehicle that I use every day. And uh, it's, it's really in need of an update. And what they rolled out looks like it's going to be the, the next generation of that interaction. How interesting that is. (laughs) We have some interesting concepts with all of the batteries in these cars. There's a company that brought out exothermic heat belts, the seat belt in your car being a source of heat. And that company says that that could reduce the amount of battery current used to heat the interior of the vehicle and may enable a range gain of 15%. Think about that for a second. How much energy you are spending on heating the interior of the vehicle for the comfort of the people, if they could change the way they do that and gaining 15% percent of the range of that battery that's a huge innovation well go from uh i don't know uh 300 miles to 345 miles mm-hmm. that's <laughs> that's big that is a big gain we we are trying to reach that 350 mile range and uh we're right on the edge of it and these little tweaks these 15 percent here 15 percent there but think about your seat belt being the source of warmth like a heated blanket while you're driving. It just hugs you, Steve. Wouldn't that, it's, it's lovely. Our, our love affair with our cars. There's lots of companies at CES that are talking about the last mile deliveries. There's a lot of change that's happening with UPS and FedEx and how deliveries are going to happen from the depot to your front door. Autonomy. O-T-T-O-N-O-M-Y, autonomy, get it? It's it's a, a robot named Otto that brings you all of your packages. They does showed it, off. Does some... it look like Tom Hanks? 
it looks like it looks like something out of uh the flight of the navigator the the square thing that drives you to to where you're going and then if you're a small enough child you can get into it and escape nasa that's what it looks like it's it's not uve it's auto that's right we've changed that We've made that change. Go ahead and make that change on your scorecard. <laughs> the idea of of robots dropping off packages, I, I look forward to that future. I think that that is around the corner. Steve, there's a Chinese computer company we should talk about. Yeah, Lenovo is a big name in laptops, and they almost always have something special at CES. This year, they've given us two special innovative pieces. The first one is a yoga book, dual screen laptop. So if you can imagine the style of a standard laptop, the top is a screen and the bottom is a keyboard and a trackpad. Well, what if both of those surfaces were screens? Then we have a lot of flexibility with how we can view that material. All right. Well, then we also have... Um... Well, you're going to be able to take notes, Steve. There are two products on the market now that are uh, e-ink devices that you can write on. Lenovo released theirs. They're calling it Smart Paper, a notepad that you can write on using e-ink technology. And Amazon, they released theirs in October. Theirs is called Scribe. I look forward to this future where I can eliminate even more paper from my day, where I could take out a device and treat it like paper work with it like paper but it is saved like a digital format that certainly could make it easier for trying to, to get to the information and access it you, and you know, you have to learn how to use it and there's a lot of study that handwriting notes gets into your mind better than typing notes. And so this is the next generation of being able to handwrite things and make them digital. I, I look forward to the prices on these coming down very quickly. So, Steve, we've got all these 5G networks that are being established all over the United States. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want to throw your television in your car and take it anywhere. Is there anything for that type of person? There's a company called Displace TV that has rolled out at CES their prototype. And remember, this is just a prototype of a wireless TV, a 55-inch TV under 20 pounds that has a vacuum technology built in to stick to any surface four hot swappable batteries that provide a month's worth of TV viewing. And uh, I am excited about the idea of, of light TVs that can go anywhere. Steve, it sounds like tailgates are going to get a lot more exciting. Well, imagine putting four of these together. You can connect four of them together to make a 220-inch view on a jumbo screen in your trunk. How about that? So you get three more friends, each uh -huh. who have one. You uh -huh. head out to the park, Stick you put it together. against the wall, and all of a sudden you got a great big movie screen to watch, you know, some kind of uh, crazy streaming movie that people make fun of. I love it. I, I, I look forward to this future. Uh, the TV technology has changed so much in our lifetime. I look forward to the e-ink and uh, wireless TVs that are so thin, they're paper thin, that I can just make wallpaper that is a monitor. I, I That's what I'm looking for. Excellent. 
I really encourage everybody to keep learning, keep looking at all these innovations, keep on top of it. It's it's difficult. Keeping innovative is very, very hard. That's why I have a class called Innovative Technology is one of the lessons that I teach the kids is you have to keep up with this stuff or it will pass you by. Uh, CES is a great way to keep up with the thinking of what's going to happen next in innovation. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information and innovation to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can, if the AI will allow us, and if our cars will still move, and the batteries are are fully charged, and the turbines are ready. I think so. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflot. We'll see you in the future. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What I wanna thank you for It means so very 